Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchmen Talk, a series of conversations with experts in military affairs, intelligence, diplomacy, and law enforcement. And our special guest today is Rafael Bardahi. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Correctly, very well. The former national security advisor of um, the Kingdom of Spain. And... um, a man with an illustrious career, which we will <laughs> go um, on every stop of the track. Welcome, Rafael. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure to be here. Um, the name Bardahi, what region does it represent? Where do you come from in Spain? Well, it's from the northern east part of uh, Spain, Aragon, the, the first kingdom of, uh, of uh, what is now Spain, or it was five centuries ago. Castilla and Aragon? Yeah, oh. yeah, the two kings. And uh, uh, as far as I understand, it's from a family uh, of uh, Jewish origin uh, that remained after 1492, and they modified a little bit the, the name in order to, to be there. Really? Uh, the first ancestor that we have tracked was the ambassador of the king of uh, Aragon and Castilla to make the peace treaty with the Muslim in Valencia uh, at the time of the, the, the Sheikh Campeador, our hero. So it's uh, genetically uh, inspired in your case. Um, in, uh, well, you, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe. I mean, there are five centuries between, in between that uh, many things happened in Spain, fortunately or unfortunately. But uh, I have to say that my passion and my defense of Israel, since I remember, is more motivated by strategic analysis than the religious uh, links or family historic past. You know? So um, you were born and um, raised um, until the age of 16 when uh, Generalissimo Franco was, was in power. Correct. Um, did your family participate or suffer in the civil war? Yes, my grandfather was a minister of education and then of uh, what is now industry and development in the Republic. Uh, and he had to leave the country after the civil war. Uh, he died uh, actually when he was moving to Portugal in the border between Spain and, and Portugal in Badajoz. Uh, but having said that, uh, different uncles, some of my grandfather, participated in the Franco years also as ministers. So I think our family... Uh, so it's a civil war, right? It's a, it's a division within the family, you know, but uh, I think uh, we decided, you know, not my family, but the Spaniards you know, in 75, that the reconciliation was something we needed and that uh, the past is the past, you cannot change it. It's like the weather, you like it or not, but it's what it is. 
and, and we better reach a new understanding to launch the democratic process. Um, my family was, as any other family in Spain, no, divided uh, among the two camps and reconciled after so many years no, of uh, Franco. Well, you know, we also had it in Israel um, in a minor way in the early 50s when there was a split in kibbutzim yep. between two um, movements, which now seems very awkward. What were the uh, differences, um, nuances? Yep. But uh, that's that's history. Uh, what drew you to strategic affairs and uh, the social sciences? Well, I studied political science and also sociology uh, with uh, a specialization of international relations. Uh, and uh, it It, uh, it was the time about the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, the whole Euromissiles uh, thing was uh, you know, booming up in Europe. I was interested. Uh, I did my, my school high degree in science and physics, so I understand a little bit of rockets and lasers and things like that. And, uh, and, uh, and that was my initial motivation, no? understanding the, 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 the deployment of the nuclear weapons in Europe. And I had the privilege to get uh, involved with the International Institute for Strategic Affairs in London from the very beginning and got also some grants from the Pentagon and, uh, and, uh, in the U.S. and went to the MIT and Harvard for special programs on nuclear weapons. And that was my you know, first steps. And when you are in a bicycle, you keep pedaling. <laughs> Now, there was, uh, during that time, there was still compulsory military service in Spain. Did you uh, have to enlist? Yes, uh, uh, I I did it, and uh, I, I, apparently I did my retraining a few months ago of a sniper. I mean, still have some marks, 600 meters. <laughs> so yes, it's. Uh, but I have to say that uh, after going through the military in Spain, that years particularly, I was convinced that uh, the military, the compulsory military service, has to change, has to change for the lack of uh, capabilities in military real terms. Uh, you spend most of the time doing nothing. So the perception of the people going through were about the armed forces were much worse after doing the service than before entering. And that's something unsustainable. Uh, and for other reasons, but I, I really promote it and I'm happy that we were able to convince the Prime Minister to move from the compulsory military conscription service to our all volunteer professional force. That was your friend, uh, Jose Maria. Yeah, no. yeah. uh, even though your other friend, Defense Minister Sarah, objected to it. Well, uh, there were people attached to the values of social mobility and other things no, that, that, to my own view, were already a little bit obsolete. No? Uh, yeah, we I spent one year, the first year in government, to convince uh, many people who were skeptical about the move. No? But I think the Prime Minister understood that the evolution of warfare really required professional forces if you were, were to deploy abroad, and, uh, and he took the, the step. No? Would you also advise Israel to adopt uh, this system, or is the condition totally different? I think they are totally different. I think uh, this country needs uh, the socialization through our military duties and, uh, and uh, it, Changes to a, a smaller, because of the budget, professional force, I think will be detrimental socially. Is there um, reserve duty in Spain? It is uh, formally or on paper. I don't think we have the ability or we have developed a system that we can call the reservist 
for doing the, the duties uh, every few months or every few years, unfortunately. You know, I think uh, keeping the reservist uh, in touch with the units is indispensable. If you are in a volunteer force, um, we couldn't. We couldn't really uh, achieve that goal, I'm afraid. Now, in 1982, uh, more than 30 years after NATO was established, Spain joined yeah. NATO. And this has been one of your uh, specialties, the uh, U.S.-Spanish uh, relationship, which, of course, precedes the yeah. uh, membership of NATO, even in the 1950s, but also the entire transatlantic yeah. relationship. Um, what um, has been happening uh, in recent years regarding uh, Spain's participation in NATO? Because uh, from the outside, from mm-hmm. Jerusalem at least, it seems that in NATO as well as in the European Union, there are two relative giants, France and Germany, and Spain, Italy, and others are in a close second tier. Is that correct, this view? Uh, relatively. I think uh, there are two giants, or there were two giants in, in NATO outside the United States, of course, which were the UK and France. Germany play a little lesser, to a lesser extent, a lesser role. No? Uh, with... Uh, Uh, the Brexit, there was some moment, moments of confusion, but, uh, well, the UK is still in NATO, no? and still, I think, the, a military power. Uh, France is also a military power. Germany is changing now, the new government, because of the Ukrainian, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the Ukrainian war. Uh, many other countries are increasing their budgets, modernizing the forces uh, lately. To my view, personally, I think uh, Ukraine has really... Rattle the, the 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 institution until until that moment. Uh, President Bush said that NATO is obsolete. President Macron said it's a brain dead, and I think they were both right. No? The, <clears throat> there were so many problems, existential problems for for NATO. Now NATO is back to the game of fighting the for, the, the post Soviet Union, Russia, and they are more happy. Uh, having said that, I. I I wrote a, a memo when we were in government that was adopted by the American administration and Condoleezza Rice defended in NATO, asking for a global NATO. At that time, we thought that NATO, if we wanted to survive, has to incorporate other countries like Japan, Australia. And yeah, you also defended in the participation of Israel and uh, India as a partners. These are major non-NATO allies in yeah. the American yeah. view. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there is something that was called until recently the Western civilization. And I think NATO should transform to defend our Western civilization uh, against all uh, uh, foreign foreign enemies. At that time, it was uh, jihadism, basically, and after September 11th. But now we have this uh, rogue exit of uh, Russia, China, and Iran, uh, North Korea, and also you have Venezuela and other countries in Cuba and in, in the Americas. So I think uh, the, the, the game is changing. Is there a, a consensus in Spain regarding not only membership, but actual active participation in NATO? Uh, the question arises because obviously you come from uh, right of the right side of the aisle. Um, and the socialist uh, government under Gonzalez was the one um, yep. which uh, acceded to, to NATO. And of course, Javier Solana, has been a secretary general, but this is all um, fine until the first shots are heard and soldiers have to be deployed far from home. 
Well, actually, when uh, the Felipe Gonzalez government entered into NATO, we were considered a foot, what is, is called in NATO, a footnote country. We participated in the political discussion. We never participated in the military integrated structure. Which is what de Gaulle did to France when he took it yeah, yeah. out of the military structure. Yeah. Uh, but the France, with France, we were less powerful in military terms. So we, didn't, uh, we couldn't afford that uh, special situation. So the first action by President Aznar was to normalize and fully integrate Spain as a, any other country. Uh, having said that, uh, the current government in Spain is composed by socialists and communists. The communist part of the government is totally against any military action, the armed forces in Spain, in NATO as an international organization. Uh, so it's divided. But for the people in general, NATO has been accepted very well. Uh, and I think uh, there is a, a strong consensus on reinforcing our armed forces. If you look at the polls in Spain, the number one institution together with the monarchy, the crown, is the armed forces, no? uh, while the parliament and the politicians are on the bottom. No? You are uh, also um, a special advisor to the special forces yeah. uh, in Spain. And uh, a special forces unit, GAR, um, is um, one of the units in the ready reserve of, uh, of NATO. Has it been deployed uh, to contingencies? Well, now we have uh, troops deployed, yes, in different countries, particularly along the line with the Russian border and the Baltic states. Uh, mm, the Special Forces has been deployed only for uh, military training purposes. We have de de deployed um, Air Force units, essentially, and, and uh, tanks and other units uh, to Central Europe. Uh, but the special units are, by their own name, very special. They can be deployed on very short notice, a few hours, no? So that's not a, uh, an so, issue. But they are part of the Guardia Civil, which is like the National Guard in the United States under both the Defense Minister no. and the Interior Minister? No, no, no. We have a, no, we have the special headqu uh, the headquarters of the Special Operation, or the Special Operation Command is from the Army. I see. The Civil Guard has special units, anti-terror uh, as well as the police, but they are separated. Uh, I'm, I'm referring exclusively to the armed forces units. Now, in your um, mid-20s already, you directed uh, a research center, and then um, you were drawn into government as the national security advisor, advisor to Minister of defense. How is the national security mechanism operating in Spain, or at least uh, when you were in government? Um, is there a national security council of ministers um, supported by a national security staff integrating military, diplomatic, and other domains? In 1996, when we, I arrived in the government, there was nothing. It was just a personal advisor to the prime minister. Uh, uh, one of the things I did was a comparative study of different models from Singapore to Israel uh, and see what could be adopted or transformed or adapted to. In Israel, it only started in 98. Yeah, yeah. but I, I had discussion with the people who already was thinking how to do it. No? Uh, Professor Arad, for instance, here. Uh, so we we built the system from scratch, you know, taking the, the benefits of knowing what other people have been done. Uh, my model was the finally the the 
the, the American model in a smaller in a smaller in a smaller size, but it wasn't implemented actually. It was uh, and still there is no implementation of the National Security Council as such. It's a small unit, but uh, it's basically a personal advisor and supportive staff to the advisor, to the prime minister. But you have a parliamentary system, yeah. and uh, the earliest model is probably the Imperial Defense Committee of the early 20th uh, century, um, later under under General Henke, uh, who helped uh, Churchill. Wasn't that more suitable to Spain? Well, I think it's a problem of culture. No? Uh, I think uh, national security councils are cabinets of security cabinets, are more related to nations that had really aesthetic problems. Spain has been basically in a aesthetic limbo for many years, so the need to have such an institutionalized system or mechanism wasn't there. Uh, what we, uh, our, my ambition was to have the power to produce the best aesthetic intelligence to the government. Uh, besides what the intelligence was providing, it was a different level, no? uh, more than just creating mechanism for crisis that, uh, thanks God, didn't, didn't happen. No? So what's your conclusion now that you have looked uh, from the top at the bureaucracy? Um, are there different types of personnel in the military, in the foreign service, in the intelligence community? And how do you mesh them all? Well, that's correct. I think uh, everyone has a different character and flavor and taste. And they, even if they look at the same, it's like a photographer, no? Nobody take the same photography, uh, even using the same cameras, uh, because of the, the whole uh, bag they are bringing with them, no? Uh, I think it's indispensable to have a coordinator, uh, call it intelligence coordinator or whatever, that um, I think the British system in that sense is very good, no? The intelligence committee put together all the information, all the relevant strategic assessment, and say, okay, we are going to produce just one for the prime minister. Uh, so somebody has to take the responsibility of unifying the visions, making sure that all voices are heard in case of disagreement. But if there is a consensus, you have to manage in somehow all the personalities involved to present so, well. So if we uh, now recall the British system, we must also speak about the yes minister <laughs> syndrome in which civil servants who are career officers stay and advise the ministers who come and go. Was that also uh, the Spanish okay. system? No, I was a political appointee. Uh, I'm not a civil servant. And I, th I don't discriminate between civil servant and, and, and external expert, but I was looking for the real experts, wherever they were coming from. No? And sometimes, as you mentioned, uh, if you have been working in a bureaucracy, you don't have the freedom of thinking or maneuver to really to provide the best uh, assessments, no? I'm afraid. In 1973, during the Yom Kippur War, the United States uh, considered asking Spain for help um, in the airlift to, to Israel. Eventually, it settled on Portugal and the Azores. Um, but later, obviously, relations warmed. At that time, uh, the, um, the Kissinger um, staff 
was afraid that Spain would be too pro-Arab to yeah. ask for help. What is now the uh, the Spanish view of Israel and the Middle East in general? Well, uh, during those years and during the Franco years, actually, we had the mythology that we have a special relationship with the Arab countries, which didn't exist, actually. Yes, uh, very special. They conquered <laughs> uh, most of Spain. Yeah, but uh, because of the proximity with Morocco, Algeria, our dependence on the gas and everything, uh, the, the government at the time thought that we need to to keep them happy, you know. And that's why it was one of the reasons why we recognized Israel so late, you know, unfortunately. Uh, but that was a myth. I mean, we, when we when we recognized Israel, nothing happened, you know. We could have done it before without any implication whatsoever. Uh, but at that time, yep. Yeah, uh, the government, it was weak. Uh, it was the, the late phase of Franco. The government was very divided and they didn't allow the, I mean, they negotiated not to be used uh, the, the main military bases in Rota, basically, who were supplying the cargo planes. The sixth pl- yeah, six fleet. The sixth fleet as well. Uh, but now it's totally different. You know? I think uh, uh, the government is even from the left, is more, much more realistic and pragmatic and knows that it has to uh, be in good relation with a country like Israel that has offering us technology, innovation, uh, many, many goods, no, for the better, no. So, uh, at, at the same time, trying to keep a balanced view on the on the Arab uh, world. No? Now, you you mentioned um, Islam, and um, obviously, whoever um, is visiting Spain, Andalus, especially yeah. Granada, Alhambra, uh, sees that. Uh, the, the Muslims were there, the Moors, and, and uh, were driven out. Eight other years. So. Yes, but um, the uh, groups like Al-Qaeda and Daesh want to come back. Yeah. That would make Spain a natural ally for the West and Israel. Well, you know that for the Muslim view, the more radical Muslim view, one the land has been occupied once by a Muslim, exactly. is a Muslim forever. No? And the, 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 the mythology is that, yes, there is Al-Andalus still to be reconquered. Uh, having said that, Spain was a country that was for fighting the Muslim. So that's also in our genetic uh, code. No? And, uh, and that's why we have problems with immigration. No? And people are very well aware of the difficulties of integrating Muslim immigration in, into our society. Uh, but yes, we have the threat of Al-Qaeda. We suffer... Uh, major attack in 2004 with 200 people killed and 2,000 in, seriously injured, changed the government. And, uh, and, uh, and we had been under constant threat and attacks uh, of the Islamic State. Last year, seven, seven attacks no, with uh, people killed uh, using some tactics that are used here, ramming cars, stabbing, not necessarily uh, rifles or big uh, explosives. No? Uh, but it's a, it's a low intensity. I think the intelligence and the police has done a very good job preventing. Uh, I think Spain is now on top of the of the figures of uh, uh, preventing and arresting uh, terrorists you know, from the from the jihad. When when you were in government, were Basque and Catalan separatism considered national security issues? No, at that time the terrorists from the Basque country ETA was. It was uh, nationalist forces were in a different uh, stage, much more uh, amenable and uh, not so radicalized, no? probably because of the violence of the ETA. The Catalans were starting and, uh, and the Basque were too divided. And we really, the national security threat was the terrorism of ETA, you know, with uh, 
1,000 people killed and putting bombs and car bombs everywhere in Spain. So that, that was the main focus. Not even, unfortunately, one of my discussion with the intelligence establishment was that they were a little bit marginalizing the threat emerging from the jihadists. They were so focused in what we knew, ETA, that we lost track a little bit of, uh, of uh, the, the emerging threat. Rafael, you now belong to um, a rarefied club of former national security advisors, which also includes Americans, French, and Israeli. Can you share your view of your Israeli counterparts and of Israeli concerns in the national security field at large? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not discovering anything, but uh, Israel has different problems. I think the most existential one will be a nuclear Iran and the, 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 the scenarios that we need to prepare ourselves for in the next couple of years, no, no more than that, whether the Iranians will decide to build a bomb or they will decide to make a, a test and declare themselves a nuclear power. You, all, you already had a nuclear bomb in the 1960s, but deep down in the sea yep. where the Americans um, are still yep. looking that for... That was an involuntary nuclear power <laughs> in any case. But second, you have uh, also the, the, the Palestinian issues, how to manage the, the, the problem, uh, Gaza with uh, Hamas and uh, the penetration of Hamas in uh, Judea Samaria, the West Bank. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a mix. Uh, you are accumulating too many problems. On top of that as well, you are now experiencing a polarization in the country. Actually, like it's happening everywhere else in the United States, in France, in Spain, in Germany. So I think uh, you were clever in the past. Now you have to be brilliant to manage all the, all the different problems that are accumulating, I'm afraid. Now, when you were uh, accompanying uh, Prime Minister or President of the Council of Ministers, Asnar, to meetings with heads of state and government, was the personal touch important on top of the national interests? Yes, I think personalities in politics matter much more than we think. Uh, I mean, you can you can make the case that you have in, in, in national interests uh, that are permanent or whatever, but the approach of a person can make a difference. And the good or bad relation between leaders can break a relation or can make a good argument in favor of something. So I, as a political scientist, I would disconsider this personality issue, but I think I, I, I would be wrong advising not to take that into, into the equation because you can have friendly relations and expand the interest of the two countries or three countries, or you can have a very cold, bad personal relation and shrink as a power. You know? So it's very important to take into account the personalities. You call yourself a political scientist because of your academic background, but you're also a political animal. <laughs> you, you helped um, establish um, a party yep. which uh, is projected to play a very important role after the next elections. Will you be part of the government? Well, I served my duties already to the government, so I would prefer to stay in the, my, in the private sector. But if I'm asked uh, because there is no other candidate, I will... I will I cannot answer no to anyone who asks for something special uh, duty to the country, you know. 
But I'm, I'm very happy that you mentioned the new party because um, I think I'm very proud of one single thing, not creating the, a right-wing conservative party in Spain, but it's probably the most pro-Israeli right-wing party Vox. In, in Europe. No, I think there was a there was a, 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 parla- a European Parliament research recently that put us on, almost on top. And uh, I think uh, I, I contributed to with my little grain to that. So never say never. <laughs> Rafael Barriahi, former National Security Advisor of Spain. Thank you very much for our conversation. It has been a conversation. real pleasure. Thank you to you for having me. And we will be back with another edition of Watchmen Talk from TV7 News here in Israel, in Jerusalem. For the time being, shalom and goodbye. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.